Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts. I would appreciate that. You might say, what are you doing? I'm just chilling out in a chair. Um, pride comes before the fall, right? You think that you can do things and you're still young. The reality is, is I am not as young as I once thought I was. Um, Acts 22, we're going to dig into the text here. Um, mainly just to say this. I was playing basketball with Seth Hipley. He undercut my feet, slammed me to the ground, and body slammed me and hurt my back. No, that didn't happen. I wish it did because it would have been easier to explain. Instead, I just pulled my back playing basketball thinking that I was young again, but that's okay. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Um, thankful for those of you who have been praying for me, and excited again to dig into the Word with you, and as we go through, again, another larger chunk of uh, the book of Acts here, I'm excited to, uh, again, just kind of take this uh, historical narrative part as Dr. Luke is writing this uh, for us and also to see though that there's still great application for us today and how we live our lives. And so what I want to do is read the text with you and then we'll kind of walk through it section by section. Um, and so if you would, Acts chapter 22, we'll start in verse 30 and we're going to read through all of chapter 23 this morning. So excited to do that with you. I'll be reading from the ESV. You can follow along with me, or uh, hopefully you brought your text with you, uh, or you can follow up on the screen as well. Acts chapter 22, verse 30, it says, But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet him, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. Looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose among between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel or spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? When the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, 
so you must testify also in Rome. When it was about day, the Jews made a plot and bond themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. They were more than 40 who had made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food until we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you are going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he, become, before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell them. Tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring you this young man. To you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they are going to inquire something more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than fifty of their more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him. And have bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. Now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man and charged him. Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. As he wrote a letter to this effect, Claudius Lysus, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they are accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being, being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against, this, against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris, and on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered a letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Sicilia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrived. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for this text that we've read. And I pray, Lord, that you would use it to change our minds and our hearts. Help us to be more focused and concentrated upon you. I pray that your spirit would work in us. That, again, we would allow you the freedom, your spirit, the freedom to convict us, to show us our sin that we need to repent and turn from. And, Lord, that we would allow your spirit to encourage us. Thank you for each one that's here and for those who are tuning in online. 
Lord, we pray again that we would leave this time together changed people having met with you. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last week we saw the beginning of the end of for Paul, right? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we, we, we saw the foreshadowing of what was going to take place. Paul heading to Jerusalem, he was, he was going to be bound and captured and given by the Jews over to the Gentiles. Last week, we saw that, that start of that, kind of like that snowball heading down the hill, right? It's, it has started. And so we saw Paul as he was with the Jews and worshiping. Um, they seized him and uh, were, were whipping him to kill him. Um, the, 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 what I call the mayor of Jerusalem, all right, the, the leader, the Roman leader of Jerusalem at that time, uh, hears the commotion, uh, and he rushes down with his soldiers and ultimately uh, delivers Paul from, from his death. Thinking that he is someone that he isn't, they take him up to the, their, their barracks and, uh, and are getting ready. They're going to question him. But before he does that, uh, Paul pauses on the steps headed into the barracks. And he asks for an opportunity to speak to those, to the mob that just was about to kill him. And so we, we went through that last week, how as Paul is sharing, he is ultimately leading them to see the difference that Christ made and how the Lord had spoken to him. The risen Savior, Jesus Christ, appeared to Paul and spoke to him, and it changed his life. So in doing so, um, they, they want to kill him. But we also understand that during that time, Paul spoke all of that uh, in Hebrew. And so uh, Claudius, who is the mayor, the, the leader of Jerusalem at that time, uh, doesn't understand all that's going on because he, he probably doesn't understand Hebrew in that sense. And so he, he is alarmed by what has taken place. And so he seeks to have some more understanding. That's where we are here in our text as we start today. All right. So he wants to know what's going on. So it's the next day, verse 30 of chapter 22, the next day, desiring to know the real reason why the Jews were accusing him. All right. He, he, he probably from the text of what Dr. Luke is telling us, he probably didn't understand Paul's whole argument in chapter 22 of what we read last week. And so he wants to find out what is really going on. Who is this man? Because he's not that Egyptian who was uh, raising a whole troop of army to revolt against the Jews. No, this was another man. This was somebody different. And so he, um, the tribune, um, Claudius, who we know his name because of the text that we see here, verse 26 of 23, chapter 23, says, He unbound him and he commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And so now he says, I want, I want the leadership of the temple of the Jews and this man to sit down and figure this out. And so he commands them and he brings Paul down and he sets them before him. Now, Claudius, what is interesting here is he, he gives them some space. 
All right? He gives them some space, but he's still observing. So, again, thinking of the customs, which is hard for us to do because we're Gentiles, and, and yet the, 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 the temple, all right, as they're bringing Paul down to the temple and for this discussion, the soldiers have to remain at a distance for purity-wise, and yet they're still there observing. And so it leads us to believe that, that Claudius doesn't, doesn't want to immediately remove Paul, quote, from danger because of what we see in the early part of this chapter, but he's there if things get out of hand. He wants this resolved, ultimately. But as we know, as we read, resolution isn't coming anytime quickly. And so uh, that leads us to chapter 23, where now Paul is looking intently at the council. Paul isn't sitting there shying away. He's, this word intently, he's gazing into their eyes. He's not shying away. He is looking at the leadership of who is there. I think that's important because of what we're going to see in the text. And how you may have heard it and read it in one way may not be really the way it is. I'll explain in just a moment. Um, Paul says this, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up until this day. Paul is saying, if, you, if I look back at my, my life, I, I sit here in good conscience. Meaning, he's not proud of everything he, he's done. Okay, But think about, again, what he is on trial here for. He's on trial because of the law, right? Because of the law that, that he is stirred up um, um, a group of people who are revolting against the law of God. And so when he says this, this statement, he, he is saying it that as God has led me, I have been true to what he has said. And that, that goes back from when he studied, and we know his history from, the, from the, the chapter that we read last week, from the time that he was studying and was underneath the law and in the temple and, and became, a, became a scribe, became a, a, fair, uh, uh, a, um, a teacher of the law, um, to even to the point when Jesus comes to him. And so this is, this is a statement that we, we kind of miss in the, in the sense of this isn't just a statement that, okay, between God and I, we're all good. It's a statement to say, as you sit there as the leaders of the temple, I want you to know I've done exactly what God has asked me to do, which flies in the face of what they're accusing him. They're accusing him of going against the law. He is saying, no, I've kept the law. I've been obedient to what God has said. And so their response is this, the high priest is Ananias, and he commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Now, according to the law that we know of the Old Testament, um, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, um, you are, and our country has been founded upon it, ultimately you are innocent until you're found guilty. And so this aspect of striking somebody um, before, before they're, they're, they're able to give an account um, flies in the face of ultimately the law that they're saying that they're trying to defend. And so Paul's going to point that out as he, as he responds to being hit and being struck. It also reminds us ultimately of Jesus, right? Uh, Paul is following in the shadows of Stephen and Jesus in a lot of the same ways. 
Jesus was was put on trial and ultimately he was struck and beaten as well. Here's Paul's response. Let's look at his response. Verse 3 to this uh, to this striking across his mouth. Paul said to him, "Go." Paul said to him, God is going to strike you. Uh, that statement is probably, and if you want to put a little note, there's a couple texts here that you can look at later on. This first text that he's probably drawing from, and again, I think purposefully because he wants to reference the law. That's what he's on trial for. He references back to Deuteronomy 28, 22. Those who are against God will be struck down. And so he says, God is going to strike you. And then he makes this statement, you whitewashed wall. This is a, a statement that can reference back to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 13, verses 18 through 15. When it's being accused that here, here you that are making this nice wall that's going to be, be struck down. And ultimately, though it looks nice, it's going to fall upon you. And then he makes this statement, are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Leviticus 19, verse 15, is the verse that I think ultimately Paul is, right, uh, is referencing back to. Paul is saying, listen, I'm on trial for the law, not abiding by the law. Yet you are people here who say and defend the law, but you're not defending it. You're not living it. You're contrary. You're doing things contrary to the law. Now, they, their response is this, verse 4, those who stood by said, would you revile in God's high priest? Meaning, you would speak so ill of who God has placed in charge of his people. Again, the high priest was selected by God. This wasn't a man's vote. This was God's appointment. And so they accuse Paul, oh, listen, you're going to talk bad about the man who God selected to be there, who God appointed to be there. Here's Paul's response. Paul said, I, do not, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He quotes uh, Exodus 22, 28. Now, reading it this first time, you may say, oh, Paul didn't know that he was the high priest. And that may be the truth. We don't have exact. And so I just want to throw out here two, two scenarios that may have happened here. The first is Paul really didn't know. And part of that could have been because Paul's time in Jerusalem had been so long since he had been there last. It had been about six years since Paul had been in Jerusalem and had worshipped in the temple. And during the course of that time, there, there may have been a new high priest that, that was appointed and put there. Let me throw out another scenario, though, when thinking about this. Maybe Paul knew exactly who this guy was. Maybe he knew that he was the high priest. And so reading the text again, if Paul knows that he is the high priest, because, again, he's probably already had altercations, he already has seen him in the temple when he was worshiping before. So let's read the text again. Paul says, Oh, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you should not speak evil of a ruler of your people. The difference is, oh, this is the one chosen by God. <laughs> He's the leader of the people of Israel who is charged to live out the law. 
Really? This is the law? Abiding high priest? Gives us a different perspective, doesn't it? So you have to wrestle with that. I don't know that we, we know definitely. It is interesting to think about, though, as Paul challenges, I think he is challenging here the high priest and the people who are listening to him. Because he's already used the law to defend himself and to defend that what they have done is wrong. Let's keep going. Verse 6, it says, Now when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. What Paul is ultimately saying is he, he sees that there are two different sects of the Jews, and we know this from the different Gospels, of even during Jesus' time that he walked the earth. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so with that, Paul is listening, he's observing. That's why, again, I go back to, and I think, I think he knew who the high priest was. Paul's pretty observant. But as he's observing, he sees that there's these two different groups, and in, in their discussions, he's going to make a statement. In his discussions, I don't think this statement is meant purposefully to be divisive or to cause the, the, the group that is uh, having him on trial to divide them. Um, I think this was a statement that he knew was going to be divisive, but it ultimately led a, it, it showed about his faith. His faith was about who? It wasn't just about the law. It was about Jesus. It was about the resurrected Jesus who appeared to Jesus or appeared to Paul. It was the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, which we just sang about. And so Paul making this statement was just as much, if not more, it wasn't just about dividing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was about his statement of saying, I believe that there is a resurrection and that Jesus is the one that I follow. Jesus conquered sin and death. And so because of that, he says, my hope is this. It is with respect and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. So we see in this next uh, verse, and when, they had, had, when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This word dissension will be used later on in Paul's argument with uh, Felix in, uh, in chapter 24, verse 5. What's interesting about this is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, as they come and they've been ordered to appear before Felix, they will use this same term and accuse Paul of doing what they did. It, isn't it interesting, again, um, what, what is happening here? They say one thing, that this is the truth, but yet they're actually the ones doing it. They're the ones who are causing the uprising, the term here, dissension. And yet they're accusing Paul of the one doing it. Let's keep going. It says, uh, it just gives us now the, a little bit, Dr. Luke gives us a little bit more background about the Sadducees. It says the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, no angels, no spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. 
Actually, Dr. Luke gives us a little bit more insight that we, we don't have anywhere else in all the text of the New Testament. And, and, and this idea of the Sadducees not believing even in an angel or the spirit. Now, again, we have to look at this. The Sadducees would have to believe that there are angels, right? Because of what we see in the, in the text of, of even in the Old Testament, as they're reading and studying the text, there's definitely angels of the Old Testament. So as we see this, again, I think this is more about the resurrection. This is about what is going to come. And, and we see what, what uh, John writes in Revelation and the angels and what, what they're proclaiming. What are they proclaiming? They're proclaiming to a risen Savior, the risen Messiah. He is raised from the dead. And so they're proclaiming their, their song to, to the risen Savior. And so this is more about, I think this is more about the resurrection than it has to do with and, and the end times that we read than it does about whether an angel or a spirit is real. Verse 9, it says, Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and sharply uh, contended sharply. They're, they're going to make a statement that ultimately shows quite the division here. And they say, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? Mainly, they're just saying, this guy is not guilty. Um, verse 10, and when the dissension became violent, the tribune, again, he's, Claudius is close by. He's seeing and hearing what, what's going on. He did not step in and interfere when Paul gets slapped across the face. He, he, he wants to hear and see what else is going to happen. But when he sees that it's becoming violent and things are getting out of hand, he's concerned that Paul's ultimately going to die and he's going to be torn to shreds or torn to pieces, as Dr. Luke writes here, uh, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them. Verse 10, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force, bringing him into the barracks. So here again, God has to use the, the, the pagan authorities to deliver one of his own. And we're going to see this over and over and over again in, the, in, in our text, but it's a reminder to us that God can use and will use anybody to continue to fulfill his promises. And so we don't have to just depend upon um, those who we know or those who are close to the Lord. God can even use those who are far from the Lord for his purposes and for his plan. And that should excite us and it should remind us that we have a sovereign God, a God who is in control and in charge of all things. What's great is what we see next. Paul gets back to the barracks, okay? Verse 11, following, the following night, the Lord stood by him. This isn't just God appearing to him. This is who? If your text is, is color-coded, your text probably is in what color here? Red, right? All right. And so uh, I'm a firm believer that this full thing is the word of God, that the red letters are not more critical and important than the, the black ones. It's all God's word. But it does help us to see who's speaking here. Who's speaking here? Jesus. Why is that important? Because once again, you have the resurrected Savior, Jesus, appearing before Paul again and speaking truth and giving him a promise. What does Jesus say? Jesus says this, Take courage, 
For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. There's a lot to dissect here. First of all, this phrase that he says here, to take courage. This is a statement that we see over and over and over and over again in this text, in the word of God. It's used in the Old Testament, and it's used in the New Testament. Great leaders, it's been told to, and those who were simple fishermen, stranded in the sea with a big storm. We, we see this take courage used in multiple passages like Deuteronomy 31, 6, Joshua 1, 6, and verse 9, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, 1 Chronicles 28, 20, Psalm 27, verse 14, and in Philippians 1, verse 2. And I want to read this text to you real quick. Philippians 1, verse 20, it says, As, as it is my eager expectation and hope, and again, this is Paul writing, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So here God is telling Paul what Paul has been saying. I, I hope that I'm full of courage and that I will not be ashamed. Ashamed of what? Of the gospel of Christ that he uses earlier in this in this letter that Dr. Luke records for us. What this promise is that Jesus shares with Paul gives him security and gives him peace for the rest of our account through this, through this book. Because what, what Jesus says to Paul is ultimately, he says, you're not going to just give an account here, which you have done in Jerusalem. You're going to go to Rome. And so we need to think of this and remember this as we go throughout the rest of this book, as different things happen to Paul. Remember the promise that Jesus gave him. You're going to give an account or witness in Rome. So when Paul's on his way and he, he's about to be shipwrecked, is Paul worried? Why? Because of the promise of Jesus. When Paul is there stranded and is bitten by a poisonous snake and has no antivenom, is, is Paul worried? Everybody around him is. Is Paul concerned? Why? Because the promise of the Messiah. What about us? How much do you know and how much do you depend upon the promises of Jesus? Do you believe he's sovereign in your life? Do you believe he's in control of all things? Why do you doubt him? Probably for some of the same reasons that I doubt him. Part of it's because I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. And I think I should be sometimes. Sometimes I think I know what's best. I said it earlier this morning. Do you believe that God is good all the time? And that all the time God is good? So if God inflicts 
difficulties or trials or hardships, does that take away from his goodness? Does that nullify his promises? No. We can easily be distracted. We need to be reminded of God's promises. And just as others who are followers of their creator God, we're told to stand, take courage, so we too must take courage. Paul is on defense for his life, and he's been given a great promise. Who knows what our lives and what's to come of them here? But we've been given some great promises. One day I look forward to a new body. The older I get, the more I look forward to that. No more pain. No more suffering. No more tears. No more anguish. Grab a hold of the truths of God and hold them firm. What we see in the rest of the text is ultimately Paul finds out there's a plot. Uh, there's a bounty on his head. Ultimately, we see that there's over 40 men who take an oath before God that they're not going to eat or drink until Paul is dead. Um, that's, pretty, that's pretty severe. <laughs> they're not waiting any longer. This oath means that they want Paul dead within a day or two. They're not seeking to go 40 days until he's dead. No, they mean business. And not only do these over 40 men mean business, but now they are bringing the religious leaders of the temple, God's chosen people of the high priest and the scribes are brought into this conversation because they're part of the plan. You Call for a meeting. And when Paul comes to that meeting, we're going to kill him. So Paul's nephew finds out. His sister's son finds out that this is happening and this plot against Paul is made. We don't know exactly how that, how that is, um, how he finds out. We just know that Paul's nephew finds out, and ultimately he comes and speaks with Paul. A few things that we do see here in the text is that Paul is not chained up to other, to other soldiers. Okay, Paul is free within the barracks. He is free to come and go uh, within that area. Um, he's also able to have guests. And so he has his nephew, and he's able to be away from everybody else. And so his nephew tells him the plot. And so Paul tells him, you need to go and speak to Claudius. And so he asks the, one of the guards to take him to Claudius. Claudius then pulls Paul's nephew to the side. Paul's nephew gives him an account of the plot against Paul. And so Claudius, uh, the text tells us, he doesn't waste much time. Which me leads us to believe, because of the letter that he writes to Felix, is he doesn't believe Paul is guilty. And he even tells Felix, I don't believe that Paul is guilty of imprisonment or of death. 
I think he says that not only to um, display his own personal feeling, but also so that Felix will not be cruel to Paul when Paul comes to him. And so the severity of this is very real. As Dr. Luke records for us, the army that Claudius has and he assembles very quickly, all right, in, in just a few short hours, he assembles an army of men. Let's look at it. Verse 23, he called about 200 or two of the centurions and he said, get ready 200 soldiers. Okay, these are foot soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. So how many is that? Well, that's 470 according to my math. So you got 470 men who are doing what? They're going to protect Paul. They're going to transfer him to Caesarea to go see Felix. Oh, also, he says, make sure you bring a horse for Paul so he doesn't have to walk. So they, they travel, and uh, they probably go about 31 miles in a short distance, and then probably another day um, that then takes them to Caesarea. This is a long way for this group of soldiers to escort Paul. We see that later it takes five days for the leaders of the, uh, the scribes to make it to Caesarea. Five days. I think Paul makes it there in two days. They traveled fast and swift. Now he comes to Caesarea and the governor is there, Felix. Verse 34, it says, on the reading of the letter, Felix asks what providence he was from. Felix wants to know, okay, give me a little bit more. Who are you? And when he says that he's from Tarsus, and not just Tarsus, but Cecilia, he knows because of what we talked about last week, because of the, the, the honor that was given to Tarsus and Cecilia, those people were, were highly esteemed in the Roman government. And because of that, we said, we see here that Felix will give him a hearing when what? When your accusers arrive. And so he commanded him to be guarded. So Paul's lost a little bit of freedom that he had in the barracks of Claudius, but he's still safe. And so next week we're going to look at the text and we're going to see what happens as the accusers now come before the next level up. You had Claudius, now you have Felix. And what do we know now? Paul's headed to Rome. We don't know it yet because the text hasn't told us. We know it because of what Jesus told us, not because of any other discussion. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to to dig into it. And, and I just pray, Lord, that we would grasp hold of, of your promises and your truth that you give us. Sometimes I think that, that we think of Paul and we see him as inhuman, almost like a God. But he was just a man like us. 
And you selected him, you chose him to proclaim the gospel and the truth of the Savior of Jesus to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. That was your calling upon his life. Lord, we all have different callings. As followers of Jesus, though, we can take great hope and we can stand courageously because of the promises that you give us. Help us to grab a hold of those, to hold firm to your word, to continue to study it and to read your word so that we may know you more, so that our relationship with you would grow deeper. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord. Even when we are unfaithful, even when we struggle, we're selfish and we lack clarity or we become distracted. Help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, throwing aside every encumbrance and any sin that may hold us down. And in the same joy that Jesus, as he looked at the cross and was willing to pay the sacrifice for us, Lord, may we live today and this week with that same joy. We don't see Paul complaining. He's not whining. He's not grumbling about his circumstances. Lord, help us not to do that. Because when we grumble, it's a real action showing that we don't trust you. Because things aren't turning out our way. So help us take courage. And stand fast fast to your truth. Strengthen our faith. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.